Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Attention all personnel. We're patched into Armed Forces Radio for a special broadcast. It sounds big, folks. Yes, this is big. This is big, folks. Jeff Maxwell, this is massive. This could not be bigger. This is going to be one of those moments that you will remember where you were when you heard this news. Yeah. You will be telling your grandchildren someday. I remember the day I found out who played General Douglas MacArthur in the episode Big Mac. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the definitive answer. No more guessing. No more urban legends. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Mm -hmm. We are going to put it to rest today. But... You're going to have to wait because we're going to do it later in the episode. That's called a teaser, isn't it? Didn't we? Wasn't that a teaser? I am a tease. Yes. Yep. You are a tease, Ryan Patrick. The hair on the back of my neck is standing up. I have been so teased. Yeah. This is the biggest unanswerable question in all of Mashdom, and we're going to answer it today. And this is the first time we're actually going to do a four and a half hour podcast. So uh, you have a little time. Sit back and relax. We're going to make you wait as long as we possibly can. But before we get to the big news, we're going to jump in and read some more messages and some more questions from listeners. Jeff, take it away. I'm going to start with Jay. Jay says, great podcast, guys. Thank you, Jay, for writing. Next. <laughs> Man, you want to take the next one? I think he has a oh, little no, bit more there. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. He's got more. Great podcast, guys. I'll cut to the chase. In the most recent episode on points and rotating home, I don't recall if Trapper and Hawkeye arrived in Korea at the same time. The war was only three years long, so six months difference in arrival could be huge. Unless they arrived together and forget what I just said. Second thing, in your answering of questions from episode 75, you talked about the inconsistencies of the surgeons drinking, and I've got an inconsistency with your inconsistencies. (laughs) A possible reason why the doctors would get so sloppy drunk at the officer's club or in the swamp is that if you recall in some of the episodes that the PA announces about certain surgical teams reporting for duty when the choppers arrived. So, so I conclude, is it possible, your honor? (laughs) Gentlemen and ladies of the jury, could it be that those drunken moments are when they were on a team that was scheduled off duty and wouldn't have to report in case of wounded? I ask you, (laughs) there's your out clause for not having to worry about operating smashed. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Well, thank you, Jay. Um, Yes, there have been a few references to a second surgical team report to the chopper pad where this mythical second team of doctors would be on call to handle all emergencies. Why did we never meet these doctors? Where were they? Where was this second medical team staying in camp? I mean, good heavens. We have four doctors, Potter, Hawkeye, we have uh, BJ slash Trapper, and we have uh, Frank slash Charles. We have four surgeons that we know of. If there is a second medical team, wouldn't we also meet them? Wouldn't they also sometimes be involved with surgery? Uh, maybe they mix it up and somebody from the second team plays with the first team. I mean, it's it boggles my mind that there was a second medical team in camp that we never saw for the entire duration of the show. Yes, uh, maybe that's the sequel. Okay. (laughs) 
The second team. It's called the second team. Yeah. Or maybe the second team was uh, Igor and Rizzo (laughs) and uh, Klinger. God help us. I mean, God help us if that was the case, but maybe. Yeah. All right. From Todd. Uh, Todd says, Jeff and Ryan, first off, Ryan, I totally agree with you on the Fallen Idol episode. I never understood why Radar was upset with Hawkeye for merely running out of an operation to vomit. In your recent (laughs) podcast, 7th, you got an email from a fan pointing out the other drunken times you mentioned when the doctors were not in the OR. I just want to point out to that fan that a few episodes after Fallen Hero, in the episode The Light That Failed, Margaret and Charles eat the tainted canned pheasant, and Charles ends up running out of the OR to vomit. Granted, he wasn't drunk, but he ran out of an operation to vomit, and Radar never complained about that. Also, I agree with that doctor on the pronunciation of tinnitus. I have had some tinnitus myself, and that's how I've always said it. But also, the pronunciation tinnitus sounds too much like a joint affliction tendinitis, so people could confuse the two if they heard the incorrect pronunciation of tinnitus. Could you say that again? I can't hear you very well from the ringing in my ears. Just one more time. What did he say? Oh, I think you have tendinitis, Jeff. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. My elbow hurts, so maybe so. And you know, I think Todd likes to write the word vomit. I I just noticed. How many vomits are in there? Almost as many times as tinnitus is. <laughs> and it's true, though. It's true. He may, he brings up a valid point. Charles does leave the operating room to go vomit. Mm-hmm. He's not in a good state. He has food poisoning. And I recently went through some of that myself, and I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. You can't focus on anything. So he was in no condition to operate, but you didn't hear anybody complain about Charles leaving. So I don't know. What can we say? It's It was a television show. Hey, if we were writing it, it things would have been different. But- <laughs> You know, it wouldn't have lasted a season if we were writing. Not a season, not a season. (laughs) The name of this podcast would be Mash Doesn't Matter if we wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) Mash, who gives a damn? All right, how are you? So the lovely Don says, hi, Ryan and Jeff. First of all, I just started listening to your podcast. Well, thanks, Don, for God's sakes. And I love it. Well, all right. Uh, you're forgiven. Thank you so much for the work you put into it. I am a musician and I spend a fair amount of time sitting at a desk making reeds for my instrument. Mm. Wow. You know, I used to play the clarinet. Yeah. I tried to take clarinet lessons. Speaking of reeds, mm-hmm. you got to have a reed on a clarinet. Mm-hmm. I quit playing the clarinet because in order to play it very well, you have to get the reed really wet. Mm-hmm. And the clarinet teacher said, well, stick the reed in your mouth and suck on it for about 20 minutes. <laughs> And I did that twice, and that was it. I went, okay, how about the guitar? I'll try the guitar. Do I have to suck on the guitar? No, you don't. All right, give me the thing with the strings on. All right, so making reeds. That's amazing that she makes her own reeds. I went to the music store and bought them and then sucked on them. All right, this process can be a little tedious. I'm learning so much about you in this episode. (laughs) Please, proceed. (laughs) (laughs) This process, ladies and gentlemen, can be a little tedious, but listening to your podcast makes the time much more enjoyable. Well, that's good. (laughs) Like so many other folks, I grew up with MASH and remember watching every Monday night with my parents when I was in elementary school. When I was a little older, I remember syndicated episodes of MASH showing at 10.30 p.m. I was supposed to be in bed by then but would sneak into our kitchen and watch through a doorway (laughs) as much of an episode as I could before my folks caught me, beat me to a pulp, and sent me to reform school. (laughs) No, she didn't say that. No, she didn't really say that. Uh, Before my (laughs) folks caught me uh, and sent me back to bed. I loved the show as a kid and still love it to this day. 
Jeff, I have to tell you that for years I thought your character's name was Igor Stravinsky, like the composer and not Strominsky. Curious as to the reason the writers named your character that. Was it a nod to the composer or just a coincidence? Sorry if you've already answered this question. I haven't listened to all the podcasts yet. Ryan, you mentioned in one of the podcasts you live in Illinois. Mm -hmm. I just assumed you lived in the Chicago area, but was excited to hear you live in Southern Illinois, which is where I grew up and currently live. Mm. Also, read you were in a production of Greater Tuna, which is one of the funniest plays I have ever seen. I'm sure you were wonderful in it. Thanks again. Dawn. So it turns out Dawn actually, I think, grew up in a town really close to where I live. So uh, yeah, thanks, Dawn. Uh, Southern Illinois. Yeah, I, we're nowhere near Chicago. I, I live in the part of the state of Illinois that's not corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, Igor, Igor Stravinsky and Straminsky, you don't remember, we had a conversation, I think it was, who was the writer? John Rappaport. I think it was John Rappaport, yeah. Yes, that would, they were having a meeting uh, with Burt Metcalf uh, mm-hmm. about stories, so forth and so on, and they said we have to have Igor's last Last name. What's Igor's last name? And Bert Metcalf, the executive producer at that time, said Strominsky. Yeah. There you go. You have to think that he was influenced by Igor Stravinsky. You take this magnificent musician, this person who is synonymous with classical music. Careful here. Careful where you're going. You change one letter. You change one letter. Yes. And it becomes comedy gold. (laughs) Changing a V to an M. Yes. Obviously. Comedy gold. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, and the show that I was in called Greater Tuna, it is a very funny play. If you ever get a chance to see Greater Tuna produced by anybody. It's very, very funny. And uh, yes, Dawn, I was wonderful in it. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if she still has to watch MASH through the crack in the kitchen door. In the kitchen door. Just for old time's sake. Poor thing. Okay, let's jump ahead here to Kyle. He says, hi, Jeff and Ryan. My name is Kyle. And like many others, my dad introduced me to MASH. I'm actually an adopted South Korean, but a millennial. I recently went back to the table read episode and curiosity got the better of me. And I wanted to see what Hawkeye's $38 20 cent bar tab would be today. And it came out to $401 and 90 cents. Yeah, that is a big old bar tab. Wow. It is fun to go back and hear some of the money references in MASH. And then you go on to there's these online calculators where you can calculate what something was in 1952, what that would be the equivalent of today. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's what Kyle did here with Hawkeye's bar tab. But it is interesting to see because, you know, nowadays when you hear a $38 bar tab, you're going crazy over a $38 bar tab. Why? That's not a lot of money. Yeah. But then when you realize, oh, no, that translates to four hundred dollars today then you're like oh okay i can see why he's uh, having a little bit of a a meltdown over that i'm gonna use that thing on my 16 cent residual check (laughs) and just see what it would be today you know maybe it's gotten it would be up to 47 cents maybe 47 cents i could go out and get a something gum i could get gum maybe not i don't even know how much gum is i think the the cost of gum has skyrocketed (laughs) do they still make gum i don't know yeah yeah, around okay (laughs) you're not a gum fan are you i'm not you haven't chewed in a while (laughs) no sucking on reeds and no No, chewing on gum all right all right (laughs) okay and the lovely stacy says or the handsome stacy it doesn't matter stacy says hi jeff and ryan i've been listening to your show for a while now catching up i listen at work your podcast makes my boring job bearable (laughs) I love the behind the scenes insight. My guy and I watch the show on TV every evening before we get ready for work. 
Last week, I picked up the MASH box set and finally had the chance to see the movie because I had been curious about it. Wow, I can see the similarities, but the differences are kind of jarring. I much, much prefer the TV cast, especially Alan Alda's Hawkeye. And no Igor? No, thanks. <laughs> Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, that's nice. Thank you, Stacy. Of course. Yeah. In the recent weeks, it's dawned on me that a percentage of the population of MASH fans, the TV show, have not seen the movie. And one of the reasons that this came to light recently is, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we lost Sally Kellerman. She passed away. She was the original Hot Lips in the film, Robert Altman's film, MASH. And it was kind of interesting to see the news on social media. And there were a lot more people than I expected who thought that it was Loretta Swit yeah, who had passed yeah. away and not Sally Kellerman. Because all they saw was so-and-so who played Hot Lips Houlihan on MASH. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people freaked out because of that. And they didn't realize that it was the film version, not the TV version. It made me start wondering how many people who are big fans of the show have never seen the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, like Stacy, she had seen the show, but she had never seen the film. It is interesting if you are a big fan of the show and you're so used to the characters and the rhythms of the show, to watch the movie is a little bit jarring. It is because it's a completely different feel. Mm. The actors are all, of course, completely different. A lot of the characterizations are completely different. You have a different Colonel Blake. You have a different Frank Burns. You have a different Hawkeye, a different Trapper. You have a couple of extra characters like Duke. It's, it's a little strange to see. Now, if you flip it around, you know, there were probably people who are huge fans of the movie who, when the show came along, couldn't really get into the show because they were so used to the characters from the film. Yeah. And maybe we'll put a, uh, a poll out on our social media if you've ever seen the MASH movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be interesting. I saw the film. Well, actually, I, <laughs> I helped cast some of the film. Yeah, you were, a, you were a part of the film. Yeah. <laughs> I was part of the film. And then years and years later, I was uh, at an airport. I'd just come back from somewhere and I'm standing out waiting for a car to go taxi or something to come by and pick me up. Who walked up behind me with Robert Altman, the director of the movie MASH. Mm -hmm. He's directed a lot of other things too. And I was a fan of his. And I turned to him and I said, uh, Mr. Altman, yeah. <laughs> I said, you're, <laughs> you're a favorite of mine. You know, I have really a great deal of respect for your work and so forth. And, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I said, you know, I, I was part of the MASH TV show. Uh -oh. And it was like, <laughs> uh -oh. it's like something hit him in the head. <laughs> and it was a big, long, silent pause. And he looked at me. Yeah, I never liked that thing. I never liked that thing. <laughs> no, he was not a fan. He was not a fan of the show. No. Okay, Mr. Altman. Nice meeting you. Bye-bye. <laughs> I never liked that thing. <laughs> so funny. Anyway. Well, yeah. it is possible to enjoy both the original movie and the series individually and know that they are really completely different entities. Yeah. If you've never seen the movie, I encourage you to go see it because you're going to see these characters in a different light mm -hmm. the movie of course is much grittier it's r-rated the movie i believe is more representative of what actually happened yep. in camp as opposed to what they couldn't show you on primetime cbs in the 70s and 80s mm -hmm. so yeah if you've never seen it we'll put a poll out there and see i just i'm curious to see how many people have not seen it when i saw it i really did enjoy it yeah. and when i saw then the television show happened and i really enjoyed that too i thought they both 
did a great perspective on this same same place. You know, they both did it very. They did it differently. Mm-hmm. There were similarities, but they did it differently. And one of the biggest thing uh, it was the blood in the movie. There's more blood. Yes, <laughs> yes. Everywhere there's blood during the operations, and in the TV show they couldn't do that. Much so. more grisly. Much more grisly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a good idea. Well, uh, anxious to hear what people say. Hey, did I mention that we found out who played Big Mac? We're not going to tell you yet. We, you still have to wait a little bit longer. What do we got? Three and a half more hours to go? <laughs> and uh, the research that went into finding the answer to the question, who played Big Mac, was funded in part by our Patreon VIPs. And we want to salute our Patreon VIPs who support this podcast, including Mike Tiano. And Private Brian Powell. Private George's Mom 2021. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you sign up, you can put whatever name you want to whatever in there. You're- George's mom, you know who you are, and George, you know who she is, too. And Corporal Santy Claus is here. <laughs> no, no, they don't. He's not really. Corporal Bob Borgen. Captain Aaron Luce. And Major Karenjeet Singh Budeo. Major Derek Wade. And Major Mark Preter. And we want to send a very special salute to Corporal Kasayanaya Drymalik, who listens and supports us in Ukraine. We have actually been in touch with her in recent weeks. And uh, while she lives in a part of the country that has uh, so far, hopefully, uh, as of this recording, had not been directly impacted by the events that are happening in Ukraine, obviously, it is very heavy on her mind. And she really, truly does appreciate all the the well wishes and the thoughts. We put a message of hers out on our Facebook and our Twitter and Instagram and had a lot of encouraging messages of support in response to that. So we just want to send a very special salute out to you and know that we are still thinking of you and your people. You know, when we first realized and and learned that we had a listener in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. we were very excited, you know, and oh boy, somebody's listening in Ukraine. That's wonderful. And she became a patron participant and Mm -hmm. it was incredible. What a wonderful thing. And what was it? Months later, maybe. Yeah. Suddenly, her country is in a ridiculous war and uh, tried to be overtaken. It's a stunning. It's a stunning moment in history. Yeah. So anyway, we wish her and everybody else there good luck. Yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Moving on. Uh, Christina says, "Hi, Jeff and Ryan. I served in the army for three years as a food service specialist. I understand some of the mess, pun intended, that Igor went through. I will say that the recipes in the military have improved over the years, so we didn't get as many outbursts of, we want something else, like Igor did. Anyway, I discovered the podcast about a month and a half ago and have caught up with all the episodes while driving to and from work. I heard on more than one episode where people were asking if Igor cooked the food. From my experience, yes. Even though there were times Igor would say he didn't cook this stuff, he might have meant that day. In a field situation like MASH, some of the cooks would handle the dirty work like the fuel used to cook with and the trash removal after meals. Others would be hard at work preparing the meal and cleaning the kitchen area. That night, the cooks would shower, considering we fed everyone and no one complained, and we'd change out of our uniforms for the next day so we could switch jobs. It was a matter of sanitation, no one getting hurt or sick. I hope that clears up some of the curiosity about that subject. Keep making the podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to the fun and behind-the-seeds info. Thanks for the entertainment, fellas. Well, thank you, Christina. First of all, thank you for your service. 
And uh, thank you for that insight. I never really thought about the fact that, you know, maybe there was a team of cooks who would switch off and do certain tasks. So maybe if you're a cook one day, you're not cooking the next day. Maybe that's what Igor did, you know, so Igor and Klinger and Roy Goldman and other people like that who were dishing the food. Maybe when Klinger was serving the food, Igor was cooking it. Right. Exactly. No, absolutely. She's absolutely correct. Um, the only thing that's kind of odd is the sentence, the cooks would shower. I don't remember <laughs> doing any of that. So That's true. I don't remember ever seeing you in any of the shower scenes. Never any no. shower scenes no. with me anyway, or any cook. So no chewing gum, uh, the reeds, no and no reeds, showering. No sucking okay. the reeds. Man, yeah. okay. All right. Oh, boy. And so Sean says, dear Ryan and Jeff, while catching up on older episodes of the podcast, on episode 28... I heard you guys discuss people named after MASH, so I figured I should share my story no matter how late. (laughs) When my wife was pregnant with our son, we went to the hospital with complications. Disappointed by the apparent indifference by the medical staff, we mentioned to each other that we are always looking for the passion and dedication of the 4077th. That's when we immediately looked at each other and decided on a name for our son, Hawkeye. Full name, Hawkeye Beach, now age 10. Named not just for Hawkeye Pierce, but in honor of the full staff of MASH characters who represented qualities we wanted in our son. Passionate, dedicated, hilarious, loyal, anti-war, anti-racism, and overall humanists. They were not saints, but strove to better themselves when confronted with their limitations. Hawk loves his name. And whenever somebody assumes it is about the Marvel superhero, he will quickly and proudly correct them. (laughs) And yes, his little dog that follows him around is named Radar. (laughs) We've reached out to and heard back from many of the cast and crew of MASH to thank them for their part in making this amazing show that inspired his name. Alan Alda sent a signed photo dedicated from one Hawkeye to another. (laughs) And David Isaacs wrote him, Young Hawkeye, your parents chose your name wisely be everything Hawkeye Pierce was, caring, outspoken, and able to see the absurdities in life. Thank you so much for the work you put into the podcast and interviews, helping to document the stories of a show that means so much to our family. Wow, that's what a story. Yeah. Now, okay, so the dog is- Radar. Radar. Uh, Maybe you could get a cat and name it Igor. I mean- (laughs) Something. The hamster could be named Igor. The hamster could be Igor. I'm fine with a hamster. <laughs> Get an iguana. Who cares? It's a, you know, iguanas are nice. <laughs> Igor. Igor the iguana. Igor iguana. I like that. No, I like that. Sean. Get on that. You know, it's so interesting that they named him Hawkeye, not only after Hawkeye, but the entire staff. Not the entire staff, because you don't hear too many 10-year-olds named Frank Burns. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, and and I love the fact that, you know, they're MASH characters who represented qualities we wanted in our son, passionate, dedicated, hilarious, loyal, anti-war, anti-racism, and overall humanist. Yeah. (laughs) What a great bunch of things to strive for. So, yay, your family. All right, let's go to the phones. Here is a voicemail from Olivia. Hi, Jeff and Ryan. My name is Olivia, and I'm from New Hampshire. I spent the last few weeks listening to all your podcast episodes, and I wanted to call in and say thanks for what you're doing. Um, I'm a younger fan. I just turned 26 last week, actually, and I've been a fan of Match since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I spent a lot of lockdown really depressed. I lost my job. I wasn't able to go to grad school abroad because of travel restrictions. My rescue cat died. It was just, like, really hard. But Match got me through it. I felt especially close to BJ because, like him, I felt like I'd just gotten my life where I wanted it, and then something outside my control took it away. 
I actually learned how to get through that time from BJ. And then I wrote Mike Farrell a letter, and he wrote back, which was crazy. Um, now things are easing up in a lot of ways, and I'm kind of rebuilding my life, even though things look different than I'd imagined. Unlike lockdown, where I was stuck inside with my brother, my sister, my parents. Now I live alone, and I work from home, so it gets kind of lonely. When I'm doing database work or cooking, or even this weekend when I was washing floors, I put you two on, and it helps me feel more at ease. Um, I also do have a question. My two favorite episodes are Movie Tonight and War of Nerves, and I love when the cast sings with each other, you know? Jeff, I don't think you were there for Movie Tonight, but were you on set for War of Nerves? And if so, can you describe what that was like? Anyway, stay well. And as Klinger says in Hepatitis, you are what you mash. Bye. All right. So, Jeff, um, yes. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to answer this for you. <laughs> okay. You were Thank not you. in that episode. All right. You were not. <laughs> I've, and, I've heard that before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, the reason you weren't in that episode is because the episode War of Nerves actually fell in season six. I'm actually getting a rash on my neck, right? <laughs> as you say these words. <laughs> season six in my neck goes, starting to itch. But Olivia, your story has been echoed by a lot of people during the pandemic. MASH helped a lot of people, whether it was people who were returning to something that was very familiar and comfortable to them, Mm -hmm. or they were discovering it for the very first time. MASH played a big part in getting a lot of people through the pandemic because MASH was about a group of people who were stuck in a bad place during a bad time. They couldn't get out. They couldn't do anything. There was a lot of death and sickness all around them, and they had to find a way to cope and a way to get through it without going mad. And that's kind of how we've all felt over the last two years. And so uh, I think MASH is a perfect show to watch and reconnect with or to connect with for the very first time during something like what we've been through for the last two years. Well said. Absolutely. So thank you, Olivia. I hope everything goes well for you. I hope things are starting to look up. Yeah. All right. Jason says, hi, guys. While watching an episode of Eight is Enough, I spotted a young Jeff Maxwell. Oh, my goodness. Which brings a lot of questions to mind. One, are the worlds connected? The timelines don't seem to match up. Two, did Jeff hook up with any of the sisters? Three, (laughs) who's Jeff's favorite sister? I like Joni. Four, was Jeff (laughs) affected by the Eight is Enough curse? And five, can we look forward to an Eight is Enough Matters podcast? (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of questions here, Jeff. Let's dive in. Eight is Enough. For those of you who don't know, Eight is Enough is a television series that aired in the uh, mid to late 70s. Dick Van Patten was the uh, star of the show, and it was the Bradford family. They had eight children, and that was enough. (laughs) That's pretty much what the show was about. And you made, uh, how many guest appearances did you make on that show, Jeff? I believe it was two or three. Okay. I believe. And my favorite person was, who who played the mother? I forget. She was, she's a very good. Um, well, I'm going to have to look it up. I'm going to go to my friend Google. And I'm going to find out who played the mother. Well, it is enough because I can't remember. Um, uh, his wife, Joan, was played by Diana Highland. Really? It was Diana Highland? No, let me hope. Maybe I'm wrong. Wait a minute. Here. No, his I'm wife, Joan. I'm- okay, now wait a minute. Yeah. So the show aired from 1977 to 1981, and Diana Highland was Dick Van Petten's wife. In reality, Diana Highland was diagnosed with breast cancer and actually passed away in March of 1977. So her character's death was written into the second season of the series. As the series progressed, the character of Tom, played by Dick Van Patten, 
fell in love with Betty Buckley. Thank you. There who you played go. Sandra Sue. So yes, Betty Buckley is the one who is most known for being the mother on Eight is Enough. Thank you. Yes, it was Betty Buckley. I had a crush on Betty Buckley. Okay. I'm not that a Diane Highland. I'm so sorry to hear that. I didn't realize that. And that's very sad. Yeah. Um, but I think in my later episodes or whatever I did, I, I was involved with her and I, well, not involved. I mean, <laughs> I wanted to be involved, but I wasn't involved involved. <laughs> So that answers question number two. Did Jeff hook yeah. up with any of the sisters? I'm guessing yeah. the answer is no. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it was, you probably wouldn't answer that question here on the podcast. <laughs> Without my attorney present, certainly. Um, the question, was Jeff affected by the eight is enough curse? And I wasn't really familiar with the eight is enough curse. So I looked this up and evidently yeah. four of the actors who played the children ended up with pretty heavy substance abuse issues. And then one of the uh, actors who played one of the daughters, Lainey O'Grady, who played Mary, died of a drug overdose in 2001. So yeah, I guess there was a little bit of a curse. Now, Jeff, were you tainted by eight is enough? <laughs> Well, I just got out of rehab. So, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I guess I shouldn't be laughing at that. No, no, we shouldn't. No, I'm kidding. I shouldn't make a joke out of that. No, I wasn't affected by that. No, I, I wasn't. I didn't do those things. They were very nice. And it was a, I remember it being a very pleasant place with very nice people. So it's very sad to hear what happened to them. And I'm sorry. Did I ever tell you that I met Dick Van Patten once? Really? Yeah. No kidding. He came to our area with a touring production of The Sunshine Boys. Oh, how fun. It was him and Frank Gorshin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who was, uh, you know, the original Riddler on the Batman television series. Yeah. So this is back in the early 2000s. It was a great show. And I knew where the stage door was. And I just went and kind of hung out at the stage door and me and a couple of other people and my wife. And we were standing there. And eventually here came Dick Van Patten. Here came Frank Gorshin. And we stood there for 10 or 15 minutes talking to them. They were really nice. I think Frank Gorshin was looking for a local watering hole to go explore. Dick Van Patten, I believe, was eating a donut when he walked out. <laughs> but they were both very nice and uh, very generous with their time. And so that was my brush with Dick Van Patten and my brush with Eight is Enough. Very cool. So I think between the two of us, I do believe we are both qualified to do the spinoff Eight is Enough Matters podcast. Certainly we are. Yeah. We'll start tomorrow. <laughs> Let's get some research done and we'll, we'll go. You know, I uh, Dick Van Patten was a nice guy. Interestingly enough, this is a little factoid behind the scenes. He had a son that grew up to be a film director. And a friend of mine and I uh, were trying to be screenwriters and we wrote a, a movie and we got it to him. We sent it to this young whippersnapper up and coming director and he loved it. And so we had a couple of meetings about him being the director of the movie. Hmm. And uh, it was a lot of fun. The movie never got made because movies are notoriously difficult to fund. <laughs> and uh, so that movie never got funded. But we were very complimented by the fact that he was so in, in love with the film itself. We'll and, have him on the podcast. Yeah, we'll get him on. The Eight is Enough podcast. Uh, the Eight is Enough podcast. Yeah. yeah, this is great. Talk about Betty Buckley. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to Paul. Hi, Ryan and Jeff. I am an avid fan of MASH based in Brisbane, Australia. I have not a question, but a bit of history for you. MASH often talks about General Douglas MacArthur. Well, in 1942, Douglas arrived in Brisbane, where he commanded the Asia-Pacific region. He arrived at South Brisbane train station July 23, 1942. During his time in Brisbane, he had a beautiful pool table set up in his headquarters. He was based in Brisbane until 1944. 
I work for the ABC Australian TV radio and online broadcaster. Upstairs in our building, we actually have his pool table. <laughs> it doesn't get used very often, but it is a beauty. How cool. That's neat. I know this isn't specifically MASH, but I thought it was a cool factoid to share with you guys. This is my current connection to MASH in a way not many people would know about. My second connection to the show is when I worked for a different commercial TV broadcaster. Every day at 5 p.m., I would broadcast MASH across the country. Whilst they were reruns, the show continued to rate well in 2009. I understand this was a random email, but for some reason, I thought I had to let you guys know. I love your podcast. Please keep up the good work. Wow. Okay, Paul, here's the deal. I'll give you 200 bucks for the pool table. I'll give you 300 bucks if you pay the shipping. You know, that's not a bad deal. But how cool is that? You know, I mean, you've got MacArthur's pool table. <laughs> not many people can say that. And hey, Paul, you know, uh, Ryan and I'd be interested in talking to you about being hired at the ABC <laughs> television thing you got going there. I think we need to start talking to Paul about uh, having the TV station coordinating the uh, MASH Matters Australian tour. Oh, I like that. For the big 50th anniversary coming yeah. up. Yes. All right. Here you go, Paul. Let's get on the ball. Ah, and you got some balls there. You got actually Douglas MacArthur's balls. Well, I mean, I, I don't mean it like that. You know what I'm talking about. Well, uh, I think this is a perfect segue into our big news. This is the part that everybody's been waiting for. They've been thinking this entire episode, golly, Ryan and Jeff, shut up and just get to the MacArthur stuff because <laughs> that's what we really want to hear. Oh. Let's set this up. Back a year ago, we did an episode, episode 57. If you want to go back and listen to it, you can do that at mashmatters.com. We did an episode called Answering Unanswerable Questions. And one of the unanswerable questions is who played General Douglas MacArthur in the season three episode, Big Mac? There's been a lot of speculation and there have been some people who have found some answers. And actually, there have been people who have found the correct answer, but we didn't know if it was correct or not. We just never really knew who was this actor. Now, there has been an urban legend going around for years that it was Robert Mitchum. And we dispelled that a long time ago. We put a side-by-side -side comparison on our website. Look at it. And you can see that is not Robert Mitchum. Plus, why would Robert Mitchum do a one-off guest appearance where he has absolutely no lines? <laughs> That's not going to happen in 1977. <laughs> Robert Mitchum wouldn't do a ride-through. No. So it wasn't him. Some people have thought it was McDonald Carey, and it's not McDonald Carey. So I've been doing research on this for a while, and I found a lot of different answers. I was on Reddit, and I found a comment from somebody on Reddit, and they go by the uh, screen name BA underscore RU underscore CO, so Baracko. And Baracko says, the actor's name is Bob Courtley. The source that he cites is a 1987 book that he had called Classic Sitcoms by Vince Waldron that included this actor named Bob Courtley in this list of guest stars for that episode. Now, Bob Courtley is a name that I had heard before in association with Big Mac, but again, nobody could confirm it. Nobody could say that is without a doubt Bob Courtley. So I started doing a little more digging on Bob Courtley, and I found out that he actually passed away back in 2004. But you know, the internet is both a wonderful resource and slightly scary because I found the names of his children. And this is sounding really creepy as I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> Just a little, but it ends well. Yeah. So I, I found through social media, I tracked down somebody who I thought was his daughter. And I sent a private message, not knowing if I would ever hear anything. But within a few minutes, 
His daughter responded and said, yes, my father, Robert Courtley, did play General MacArthur. It was a eureka moment, Jeff. It was the moment that I've been waiting for. I, I, yeah. We've been talking about this ever since we started the podcast. Yes. This has been a question that's come up multiple times. And what's very interesting is I, like two or three days after I got confirmation that Bob Courtley was indeed the actor who played MacArthur on Facebook and the MASH groups, there is this uh, little uh, graphic that's shared quite often saying, did you know? And one of the did you knows that showed up talked about one of the possible actors who played MacArthur was Robert Courtley. <laughs> I thought, wow, oh. what a coincidence. But even the people who were doing that graphic, they didn't know because, you know, we looked at a photo and it could be him. So I am here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, MASH fans, long-suffering MASH fans, we can finally put it to rest. The actor who played Douglas MacArthur on Big Mac was indeed the actor Robert Courtley. Now, I started doing a little more research on Robert Corley just to share some information with you. He was an actor. He appeared in motion pictures. He was on television. He even once appeared on Broadway. His parents were actors. In fact, his parents met on stage. His father, William Courtley, was a star in vaudeville and on Broadway and silent films. All of his brothers were also actors, except for his brother, Stephen. Stephen was killed at a very young age in World War II. His daughter also told me that he toured with a children's theater group when he was young called Claire Tree Major, and she believes that's where her parents met. So Robert Courtley, he was a member of the Lambs Club in New York City, which is a social club for actors and songwriters. He was a co-creator of the Actors' Equity Association. He started in the 50s on a TV series called Atom Squad, A-T-O-M, Atom Squad, playing a character named Steve Elliott. This was a series that was broadcast live five times a week on NBC from July 1953 to January of 1954. Each episode was just 15 minutes long. They produced 142 episodes in six months. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is unbelievable. And sadly, none of these episodes survive today. None of them. Mm-hmm. Um, he also appeared in the 1965 telecast on CBS of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella as the evil stepmother's groom. That was the one that had an 18-year-old Leslie Ann Warren playing Cinderella. And here's something interesting. The 1965 version of Cinderella was directed by Charles S. Dubin. Mm, Wow. Who went on to do a lot of episodes of MASH. However, Big Mac was produced in season three and Charlie Dubin didn't come on board uh, MASH until season five. I thought maybe that was the connection, but I don't know that that plays out exactly how we wanted it to. Other TV appearances, he was on Police Story, The Red Skelton Hour, Special Agent 7, M-Squad, Men Into Space. He also appeared in the Sylvester Stallone film Fist, and his last film appearance in 1979 was John Huston's Winter Kills, and then uh, Robert Courtley passed away in 2004. But he is probably now best known as playing, officially, Douglas MacArthur in Big Mac on mash wow yay ryan patrick you have outdone yourself i need a nap you can take the rest of the week off i'm telling you what what an amazing journey you went on to get these facts and figures and and really confirm that this guy uh was the guy what an amazing thing yeah i think you should open up your own private detective agency (laughs) from here on in amazing but it really is. Thank you for doing that. That that's an amazing thing that you did. You really I mean, this has been a long time that we've kind of 
talked about this and you've confirmed it. Again, I did not discover the name Bob Courtley. Other other people had found that name before. Mm-hmm. So I'm thankful to the people who had found that and posted on Reddit and other sources online because that helped me continue down the rabbit trail and trying to figure out how can we confirm this. Mm-hmm. I am so thankful to Pam Courtley for responding to my message and confirming for us that indeed it was her father. Yeah. Yeah. So thankful for doing that and uh, giving us the green light to tell everybody, yes, indeed, this is the one because he deserves credit. He was not credited in the episode. He deserves credit. You know, and as we're talking about this, I'm wondering in my head, how did this work? How did how did he come to that moment? Yeah. And I'm going through the casting process and I'm thinking, well, okay, so uh, it went out to a casting director. The casting director reads the script and says, well, we need this character. And the director says, yeah, we got to get a guy standing on the Jeep and well, it's got to be Douglas MacArthur. Mm -hmm. And so the casting director at that point would probably go through some pictures that, that he or she had and looking at faces and body types and so forth. And perhaps... That's the way it happened. Maybe they saw his picture and thought, oh, wow, he just kind of looks like the guy and he's big. And and so that may have been how he got there. Because he didn't have to audition, yeah. <laughs> you know, other than just walk down a hall or something, but he didn't have to do anything. <laughs> so I wonder if they maybe just hired him basically from a picture or or some casting director knew him and said, hey, let's get Bob in here and do that. Interesting, though, uh, how, how that how he got there. I wonder who it was that knew him and got him into that part. Well, now we have to figure out that mystery. <laughs> okay. The mystery continues. <laughs> the mystery continues. Ah, yeah. Well, that's really cool. Well, that's going to do it for this groundbreaking, monumental episode of MASH Matters. I don't know how we can top this, Jeff. I don't either. I think it's going to be a while. I mean, we've answered the most unanswerable question. Where where can we go from here? Yeah. It, it's all downhill from here, Jeff. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you can reach out to us on the internet at mashmatters.com. You can find us on all the social medias. You can email us mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. And you can uh, always uh, leave a voicemail under three minutes in length by calling us at 513-436-4077. Sounds good. Or you can just come over to the house. And bring a casserole. <laughs> but don't bring any reeds or uh, chewing no, gum. No, 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 no. no, no. no, no. We're not no. going to go there. Not going to go not there. Not going to suck on any reeds this month. No, <laughs> sir. Thank you very much. Until next time, here's looking up your old address. <laughs> <laughs>